Good morning, church. Today's teaching text comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have, re they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your overflowing love for us and for the patience that you have with us. Today, Lord, we pray for healing in our communities across the world, and we ask for your power to be shown. I pray for the Holy Spirit to be with John this morning as we dive deeper into prayer. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, our topic for today may be the very thing that saves your life. Our topic today as we're talking about prayer uh, may be something that has been absent from your life that may be the very thing that helps keep the whole thing together. Um, this is one of the most anxious seasons, I think, to be a person, certainly uh, in my lifetime. And somebody put on Twitter the other day, they were actually asking um, African Americans, like, what is one word to describe how you're feeling right now? And the overwhelming theme was exhausted. But I think it's true if we ask like our church more broadly, what's one word to describe how you're feeling right now? I think we would hear some version of tired, worn out, uh, exhausted. And if you feel worn out and your relationships may be feeling strained or you're weary, you know, it's worth thinking about why and appreciating the moment that we're in. A global pandemic that hasn't happened like this for over a hundred years has brought our entire world to a grinding halt. Like there are moments, maybe during like an OU-OSU football game or something where it feels like everyone you know is in on the same thing, but nothing like we've experienced during COVID-19, where everyone on planet Earth is paying attention to these themes and learning words like social uh, distancing. Hundreds of thousands of people in our world are dead. Unemployment in our country is soaring. Uh, on on like just the interpersonal level, one of the things that stinks the most is we've been kept from like physical contact. It's, it's we're easing back into hugging our, you know, like grandchildren hugging their grandparents, uh, not being able to hang out with friends, not being able to worship in person uh, as a church. We've been kept from our routine. In the middle of all of this, the issues of race and privilege and power are boiling over. And it doesn't matter if you're politically on the right or on the left or somewhere in between, you're likely anxious and defensive and a little bit on edge about all of the conversations. These race conversations have hit a fever pitch, come to a boiling point in the middle of COVID-19 where we were already exhausted and stressed out and many people worried about money and how we're going to make it. And in the middle of all of this, it's like fun was officially canceled. Playfulness was officially canceled. I was shocked the moment I learned that the NCAA tournament was going to be canceled, that Major League Baseball was going to postpone the start of their season, that the NBA, it looks like they're talking about coming back, but the NBA delayed the start of that season. And perhaps most heartbreaking of all, I'm sure for all of us, is that the NHL season was canceled, you know? And I'm sure many of you are crying at home over this, your team, your good old, I'm not even sure I could name an NHL team. 
but some of you really care. Susan Grice, I know that you care about uh, hockey. It's really frustrating all this because the Thunder were doing really well this season too. You know, the Olympics were canceled, parks are closed, many gyms have been closed until recently. And it feels like there's a rule that we're all supposed to be serious right now. We're not supposed to have fun. There's really no outlet for all of our negative energy. I think about how much it would stink to be a graduating senior, whether it's high school or college or, or you know, associates or whatever, how like, disappointing it would be not to have that closure on the end of a chapter in your life. So what do we end up doing in the middle of the season where many of us are stuck at home, we're, we're, we're only now going back out into the open, it feels like there's nothing we can do, we're, we're diving headlong into screen time. Uh, we have watched every movie that Netflix has to offer, we've binge-watched all of our television shows, we've spent plenty of time on social media, and we're staring, like we were already looking at screens a lot, but we're disproportionately looking at our screens. And social media is a really wonderful thing. Social media is enabling us to worship together as a church dispersed all throughout the city and, and, and the country, the world right now. Folks are watching even in other countries. Social media is a great thing. But for all of its virtues and gifts, social media functions as an anxiety amplifier. And there have been studies that have shown that people who spend a ton of time on social media are more likely to feel anxious after that time on social media than they did before. Social media informs us not only of all of the terrible things happening in the world, but also all of the dumpster fire feelings and opinions of people that you went to elementary school and high school with. Like you thought that you liked your family members and your neighbors, and then you saw the stuff that they posted on social media, and you're like, I don't think I like them anymore. Like everything bad in the world and everything bad in your world is being amplified into your home through these little rectangles that we carry with us everywhere. Now, we're not meant to bear the weight of omniscience. Our little brains and our little bodies, which are incredible and capable of so much, were not designed to bear the weight of omniscience. We're not supposed to know what everybody thinks, and we can't bear the pressure and the anxiety that comes with knowing every terrible thing that happens on earth. Uh, I'm concerned for those people, and, and I'm one of those, uh, who appear to be on social media too much or all the time. Uh, almost constantly posting stuff because it, it tells me and it reminds me like we're absorbed in the anxiety of our moments. Our addiction to this anxiety amplifier is undermining our ability to healthfully and realistically deal with the challenges in our world and, and the challenges that our little lives are facing. Social media is not helping us process the anxiety and the weight of being a person, being a, a human and doing that well. We desperately need a, a process. We need a mechanism. We need an outlet to channel all of these negative emotions that are building up and need somewhere to go. All of our fearful wonderings within, and these impulses we have toward activism or toward, toward worry, we need something to do with a lot of this energy, this tendency toward anxiety. And not only to guard us against the negative, but we need a place where we can bring in a context for receiving wisdom and peace and perspective and empowerment from our Heavenly Father who can bear with ease the weight of omniscience and omnipotence. Learning to pray and then actually incorporating prayer into your everyday life very well may save your life.
And this, this, like, this invitation to prayer in a moment like this is by no means built on a dualistic view of reality as if like the pastor's just saying, look, the world is burning. We just need to think about heavenly ethereal things as if those two are disconnected. Heaven and earth are overlapping wherever the kingdom of God goes, wherever the God's kingdom is established. It's just through a veil. We just have to have eyes to see it. This is not a dualistic view of reality. The issues of race and power and disease are not like antithetical to the things of God. God cares deeply about the stuff that's happening on earth, which is why we prayed, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in the middle of Of all of this, prayer is a way that we invite the reign of God into our world beginning in our lives. Prayer, as we're going to talk about, is tethered to the nitty-gritty stuff of life. And it's for good reason that Jesus, whose daily life was consumed with being surrounded by people with ailments and pathology, lepers and lame people and blind people, he was surrounded by need and he was one person. Jesus, who was surrounded by perpetual need, regularly snuck off from the crowds to go find some quiet time with his Father. Learning to pray and then actually praying and following the example of Jesus may be the thing that saves and not only saves but also sustains our life while we live in this high-pressure, highly anxious moment. But we don't pray. Uh, last week, I shared four reasons. Uh, one is that we, we often would say we don't know how to pray, and that would uh, represent a lack of skill. Uh, the second thing we could say is, look, I don't think it's going to do anything, uh, which might be a lack of faith. We, we treat prayer like it's just like monologuing to ourselves or processing. We don't imagine, like the author of Hebrews says, that there's a God who exists and rewards those who earnestly seek Him. We don't think it's going to do anything. We lack faith. A third reason we might not pray is we're just making it too hard. This is a lack of simplicity. This has been my biggest challenge since in undergrad I started studying like academic, uh, like biblical literature. I started overthinking and I'm trying to like pray in a Trinitarian way and I'm trying to pray with proper like biblical, you know, hermeneutics and it just overwhelmed me and I just kind of stopped praying. And maybe that's not your story exactly, but you've just made it too hard. There's a lack of of simplicity. We're going to address that today. And then the fourth reason you might not pray is just a a lack of a breakthrough. You've been disappointed. There were things that you earnestly asked God for. You know, you did the asking, the seeking, the knocking. You've listened to every sermon, and you were just disappointed because the breakthrough you were asking for never came. Maxie Dunham, who used to be the president of Asbury Theological Seminary, I shared this last week. He said, all the contradictions questions and objections surrounding prayer are God's problems, not mine, because prayer is God's idea. And so last week I shared a a simple little tool to get you praying, to get us praying, and I called it the the 929 prayer. And I'm totally cherry-picking three passages of Scripture that just so happen to be in chapter 9, verse 29 of three different books of the Bible. Matthew 9, 29, uh, these two uh, sick people are coming after Jesus, and they say, Jesus, heal us. I said, do you think I can? And they said, sure we do. And Jesus said, well, then according to your faith, Matthew 9, 29, let it be done to you. And so at 9.29 a.m. And, and many of us a.m. and p.m., we've been praying, Lord, increase our faith. If according to our faith it's going to be done to us, then Lord, increase our faith. Even give us just a mustard seed amount of faith. 
Uh, Mark 9.29, I'm blanking on it. Anybody remember? It's going to come back. Luke 9.29, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and his clothes become transformed, and he's shining in brilliance and lightning. And so we've been praying, Lord, transform us in, in prayer. The second one, thank you, Madeline, was uh, increase our resolve in prayer. Uh, the, the disciples had this, this person who was filled with a demon, and they couldn't cast the demon out. And they came to Jesus later and said, why? After he had done it, and he said, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Pray, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our resolve. And Lord, transform us in prayer. And if you missed that and you just want to get started praying, watch the last 10 minutes of my sermon last week. Set your alarm to 929 and you can kind of get going with it. In the passage last week, Jesus told us how not to pray. And then he got us started on how to pray. And he does this again today, a negative and then a positive. First of all, he says, don't pray in order to be seen, with a motivation of being seen. He says, don't use spiritual disciplines as a way to win friends and influence people. God is not going to honor that kind of empty hypocrisy, using spiritual disciplines and, and spiritual like, uh, behaviors as a way to influence other people with your ulterior motive. God won't honor that. He says, do, go pray in secret. Go to your room, shut the door, and your heavenly Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. His teaching last week gets you in the proper context. Go to your room, go to a place of secrecy and privacy when no one's watching, but what do you do when you get there? And we're going to begin talking about that today. He gives us a don't, and then he gives us a do by way of contrast. Uh, if you look at uh, verse 7 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't keep babbling on like pagans. When you pray, don't keep babbling on like pagans, for they think that they will be heard uh, for their many words. What he's talking about here is in the first century, you have Greeks and you have Romans who believe in this world where there's a pantheon of deities, and the deities are capricious, and they're easy, they're, they're like very uh, apt toward distraction, and so if you want to get their attention, if you want them to give you a hand up or help you out in one way or another and controlling a given force of nature, you got to really work to get their attention. Uh, you've got to keep them happy and avoid their wrath because their gods were prone to distraction and very human-like. And so repetitive prayer was a way of saying, it's like your kid saying, hey, mom, can I have a snack? 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 Nobody out there can relate to that, I'm sure, and the madness that comes with it. But this is how they behaved with their deities. There was an assumption that you had to be repetitive to get their, their attention, get their focus. It kind of reminds you of the story of uh, uh, Elijah with the prophets of Baal. I think it's in 1 Kings chapter 18, where they're having like a divine showdown. The prophets of Baal against the prophets of Yahweh. And the prophets of Baal are like whipping themselves and they're crying out day and night to get the attention of their God who is no God and nothing happened. And this gives us a picture of pagan prayer according to Jesus. They're yelling till they're hoarse, they're repeating themselves, they're whipping themselves, and nothing appears to be happening. And also in Jesus' mind would have been the idea that, that pagans often sensed that you needed to use these special power words. That if you had this secret knowledge and you used these power words, it was going to work like the Konami code in the, uh, the Nintendo game Contra. Like if you have the code, things are going to go better for you. If you use the power word with your deity of choice, like stuff is going to work better. Your prayer is going to be received. 
And in the context of this, talking about Greeks and Romans like pagan models for prayer, uh, there's this assumption that it takes force, volume, and secret knowledge to get prayer to work. And it puts a ton of pressure on the prayer, the person who is praying, because you've got to have all your business together. You've got to muster up all the energy you have because those gods are prone to distraction and they may not take your call if they're not in a good mood that day. But Jesus, in contrast to this, this image of the pagan world, uh, reframes where we pray and how we pray. He says in verse 6, he says, Do not be like the pagans. Why? Because your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. In contrast to this group of people who think that it's all on them to flag down God because he's not paying attention, Jesus puts things back into the context of a father-child relationship. I don't know about you, but I have been in churches where it feels like our prayer life is more like a pagan description by Jesus than, uh, than, a, than being in the context of a father-child relationship where there's tremendous security. It takes all that energy to get pink in the face and to yell loud enough and to dance loud enough and to say in the name of Jesus after every single prayer because we think we have to use those power words to get his attention. But Jesus says you're talking to your father. Therefore, you can pray simply. Jesus has used this phrase, your father, Six times so far in Matthew chapter 6. It's not something that we've discussed in, in previous weeks, but it's something that would have like really rung in the ears of his original audience. Jesus talking to these regular people and instructing them to address God as their father. Now remember, that's something he got killed for. It was viewed as equating himself with God. It was viewed as heresy. And Jesus is saying, the level of intimacy that I have with my Father, I want you to behave as if you have that as well. You're talking to your Father. And then in a moment, next week we'll look briefly at the Lord's Prayer. He, this, the prayer begins, Our Father. As if Jesus is saying, when you're praying, it's like, like I've got my arm around you and we're praying together to our Father. We're family, you and me and the Father. We're family. This Hebrews 2.11 affirms this. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He said, look, we're having a family conversation. In the same way that I talk to my father, you talk to him like he's your father because he is. When we pray, we, we can imagine Jesus having his arm around us, and we're siblings. That's what Hebrews 2.11 said, to imagine ourselves as siblings of Jesus, children of the eternal fatherhood of God. We address the Father that we and Jesus share in common. And this familial context of prayer stands in stark contrast to the high pressure environment that the, the first century Greeks and Romans lived in when they were addressing their deities and the pressure that many of us feel to conjure up all of the right feelings and emotions and words to get it just right so that maybe God will hear us. He puts it in the context of a perfect father child relationship. And how do you talk to a parent? How do you talk to a father with whom you know you are completely safe and loved? Simply. 
simply. Richard Foster in his book, Prayer, says this, Jesus reminds us that prayer is a little like children coming to their parents. Our children come to us with the craziest requests at times. Often we're grieved by their meanness and selfishness in their requests, but we would be all the more grieved if they never came to us even with this. We're simply glad that they do come mixed motives and all. And this is precisely how it is with prayer. We will never have pure enough motives or be good enough or know enough in order to pray rightly. We simply must set all these things aside and begin praying. In fact, it is in the very act of prayer itself, the intimate ongoing interaction with God, that these matters are cared for in due time. C.S. Lewis said simply, lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Chapman said, pray as you can, not as you can't. When we pray, we're to imagine ourselves being children of a father with whom we can safely and securely ask anything. Do you have a person with whom you feel total security? Like, I'm a person who, like, I choose my words pretty carefully. In fact, I told a counselor at one point, I feel like when I speak, I need to be prepared for my words to be written down in stone. And I'm not talking about, like, public speaking. I'm talking about, like, talking with a buddy or talking in a meeting. And there's so much pressure to, like, self-edit. Some of you are really hard on yourself and beat yourself up for things you should have said and go back to it, you know, weeks later. Is there a person with whom you don't have to do that? where you can just turn off the editor and you know that you can just freely share and they get it? That's what Jesus is trying to get at in the way that we address our Father. This context of complete safety and security is the context in which we approach approach our Heavenly Father. It's the foundation for simple prayer. Richard Foster goes on to say this. He says, simple prayer involves ordinary people bringing ordinary concerns to a loving and compassionate Father. There's no pretense in simple prayer. We don't pretend to be more holy, more pure, more saintly than we actually are. We don't try to conceal from God our conflicting and contradictory motives from God or from ourselves. In the most natural and simple way possible, we learn to pray by taking our experiences, our everyday events of everyday life, and just giving those over to God. Some of you will have a reference for the Enneagram. I'm a nine on the Enneagram, which means I'm, I'm pretty naturally self-forgetting. There are a lot of memories that like are just no longer in there. There are things that people tell me, you remember when you said, nope, like you could be quoting absolutely anybody else and I have no idea uh, that it's me. Uh, I'm, I'm self-forgetting. I'm often self-unaware. And as a person who's not a, a naturally a verbal processor, like day-to-day conversationally, uh, I sometimes feel like I don't even know what I should pray about. I carry a perpetual guilt for not praying as often as I think I should. But I also, like just in my ignorance, feel like I often don't know what to pray about. And so for me, becoming just aware of myself, of my world, of my needs, of my hurts, uh, is is some like pre-work that I feel like I often have to do and even even to begin practicing simple prayer with the Father. 
But it is this stuff of everyday life, not the oughts and the shoulds, not the like theoreticals, not like you don't have to try that hard. It's the regular stuff of everyday life that provides the fodder of our prayer life with God. Stuff that's not all that spiritual. Um, At the beginning of this year, I made a document called 2020 Moments. And as the year has gone on, I've been just populating this document with very short bullets of stuff that happened that, like, I want to remember. And I keep this, this document on my desk. And on my 2020 list, I have things like Sam Odom learning to ride his bike without training wheels. And I'm so proud of Sam. I wanted to remember my kid figured this, like, milestone thing out. I'm really proud of him. Uh, on the list, I put things like, um, you know, writing an op-ed in the Tulsa world. I, I wanted to remember that. On this list, I put Joe and Beverly Spence died. And, and wanting to, like, not forget, like, like, the significance of what that moment was in my life and in the life of my family and, and our community. And this document is a way that I've begun trying to pay attention, just the stuff that God is doing and the, the context for our conversations. And I've been tooling with a similar approach on a much smaller scale, trying to, like, like, to help me to notice and appreciate the stuff that I should process with God. And so I've been carrying around this simple, like, moleskin journal and just writing down, like, the little things that, like, show up on the radar of my day. Uh, so little moments, little fears, little feelings and joys and wonderings. And so on one day last week, I had, like, 15 items, um, lunch with so-and-so criticism from another person, anger about this, temptation about that, wondering about this topic, email from this person. On another day, I only had like five or six of these items on there, and they're all very specific to me. You could read it and probably have no idea why I wrote that down or why that was significant, but it mattered to me. It was the stuff of my day and my life. And I I took that list, whether it's 15 items or five items, I took that list and tried to very, very casually and naturally talk about those things with the Lord. And this may be a tool that you use. You just have like a little like field notes like thing in your pocket or in your purse and you just scribble down, I want to remember that. There was a little fear there. There was a little something there that I need to come back to. Take your list to a, a private place of prayer without any fancy preludes or trying to like, like lay down some power words or anything like that, you say, Lord, I just want to talk about some of the stuff that happened today, that I thought about today. And believing either just a, a lot or a little that God is listening and God cares and you're in a place of safety, you just go through the items on the list. This is so elementary. Some of you are like... like have your doctorate in prayer, and I'm just a middle schooler here. But this has been really helpful to me just to begin to develop a God consciousness and even a self-consciousness, the things that I need to notice about myself to bring them into the presence of the Lord. And you bring them in believing that He exists, that He cares, and that your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So you talk about what you wrote down. You, You ask questions. You just... Sit there, you get it all out, you say thank you, and then go about your day. 
And I think if I practice this, if you practice this for the long term, you might not need to keep a piece of paper. You could just have this running dialogue, like some people at work have an instant messenger platform open all the time, and you know if you send out the message, your coworkers, wherever they are, are going to hear it. Maybe it gets to that place in prayer for you, where you just know to recognize the moments that are significant for you and say, Lord, what do you think about that? Or, Lord, I'm really hacked off about that. And you have this perpetual process of prayer. It's like Paul saying, praying without ceasing. But the important thing in all of this is not technique or word choice. I think the important thing is authenticity and frequency. Like genuinely being yourself and bringing yourself into the presence of God and and doing that on a semi-regular basis. Not to check off a box, but because we are unwell and we want to be well. You learn to pray by praying, not by reading about prayer, not by attending prayer services, not by listening to sermons or theorizing about prayer. You learn to pray by praying. And so if you want to know how to pray, you've got to pray. I want to share 10 fairly simple things about simple prayer that may be helpful to you. Uh, The first is just that simple prayer is candid. So you're shooting from the hip, not rehearsing a speech, okay? You don't need to think about like a prayer as like a five-paragraph essay. Here's your thesis. Here's what you're going to say. Here are your three points. Here's what you just said. Like, I'm out. Amen. Prayer's candid. You're just shooting from the hip. And that's simple prayer. Two, a simple prayer assumes that God cares. You can hop into the middle of the conversation uh, it, like because you know God cares about it. Here's the stuff that's on my mind. Three, uh, simple prayer lacks shoulds and oughts. Uh, Those of you who are really hard on yourselves and like perpetually like trying to do the right thing, this is a gift to you. Uh, Simple prayer lacks shoulds and oughts. So don't self-edit, ignore your inner critic. If you read some of the stuff that David wrote in the Psalms, you're like, there should be some shoulds and oughts in your prayer. You should not be praying for God to bash the, like, the children of your enemies against a wall. But David prayed that, and it's in our Bible. The thing was that he prayed it. We don't have any evidence that he did those things, thank God. But he was processing in the context of a relationship with his heavenly Father. Simple prayer lacks shoulds and oughts. A fourth, simple prayer is specific and particular. Simple prayer names names. It names situations. It's like the nitty-gritty. None of this generic, would you, would you bless me? Would you give me a little bit of this? Would you help me with problems? It's like, no, these are the details of, of, it, of, of the issue. You're rehearsing your own trauma and your hurts and your feelings and conversations with other people, specifically with the Lord. <clears throat> Five, specific, simple prayer assumes total safety. You're not going to lose your job over what you say in prayer. And this may be like life-changing for some of you. I remember when Jimmy Doyle in, in the, my senior year of high school taught me that God could handle my honesty. God could bear me saying, I'm not sure if I'm actually speaking in tongues or just making it up. It was revolutionary to me to, to realize that God could handle uh, that kind of, of candor. It's, it's a relationship of total safety. Six, simple prayer is unpoetic. Don't try to sound fancy. Don't try to sound like you're praying, and you know what I mean when I say that. Okay, I'm not going to do an imitation of sounding like I'm trying to sound like I'm praying, but don't try too hard. 
Talk in your normal speaking voice. I, I, I went to voice lessons at, for, at one point, ultimately concluded I can't say that well. But the voice teacher I was with told me, like, I want you to just talk the words that you're trying to sing. And just, like, learn to, like, like extend the, the sounds of your talking because I'm trying too hard to sound like a good singer. Similarly, don't try to pray like a good prayer. Just get it out there. Be unpoetic. Seven, Simple prayer would make really dangerous sound bites. If somebody heard, if you're, if you're truly praying candidly over the course of your lifetime, you would not want other people to capture those moments because you're really getting out what's in there. Simple prayer, authentic prayer, would make very dangerous sound bites. Uh, number eight, simple prayer and what we do and don't pray about um, reveals what we really care about. And so that thing that you're commenting on a lot about, like, publicly, are you taking that into your prayer room? Are you praying about that with the Lord? If you're not praying about that thing that's getting a lot of your public attention, could it be the case that you're just virtue signaling, that you're just sending a message to others that I care about the thing that we're all supposed to care about, but not quite enough to take it to the Lord in prayer? Ooh, that one hurts. Simple prayer reveals what we really care about. Number nine, a simple prayer reveals our fragility. We just see how broken and tired we are, how self-reliant we are. I mean, if you, uh, Ben was talking earlier about being in a place where he wasn't allowed to look at any screens and just sit still for like 20 minutes. The times that I have done that in recent months, I have found that I am just sleepy. In simple prayer, those moments where we're disconnected from other people and just in the presence of our Father reveals like we're just these fragile little creatures we are broken. Our bodies need sleep. Our, I'm told that we need to drink water. Water? Yeah, that's what it's called. I need to drink that. We need to eat good foods. We're just, we're fragile creatures. We need the Lord's help. And the last thing I think that we'd say is simple prayer is like your favorite pair of jeans. Simple prayer is something that like you, you're going to use all the time. You may get fancier, you may pray, like, like, I hope that you'll learn to use the Lord's Prayer and even to pray that simply. You may use written prayers or liturgies, but, but simple prayer is like you're the bread and butter for the Christian. It's something that you never graduate from. It's something for like everyday use. It's when you get home from being dressed up, you put on your favorite pair of jeans or sweatpants. That's what prayer, this simple prayer is. It's being comfortable in the presence of the Lord and just letting it all hang out. Simple prayer is candidly processing the stuff of everyday life and relationships in total candor and safety with your heavenly Father who is just so glad that you want to talk. There's an author, I forget his name, who wrote a book called The Art of Pastoring. And he talks about feeling the divine ear, sensing that God is ready to listen. There's a Toad the Wet Sprocket song from the early 90s. It says, call you sacred, call you obscene, call you faithless, call you anything, but call and you listen. No matter what composes your day, God wants to hear about it because he cares for you. So maybe you're single and the whole COVID thing has got you feeling really lonely. Or maybe you're a new mom and breastfeeding is really hard. Being a parent is much more difficult than you thought it might be. Maybe you're a police officer and you're feeling judged or misunderstood. 
Maybe you're on the edge of retirement and you're feeling really anxious about the state of of the stock market and the economy. Maybe you're a kid and there's a boy or a girl on your street who's really mean to you. Maybe you're a teenager and there's someone that you like, but you think they don't like you back. Maybe you're sick and you're worried about how you're going to pay the medical bills or you worry about your family members. Maybe you're a recent graduate and you're feeling like, like thrown off with a lack of closure of, of wrapping up one season of your life, and now you're looking for a job and there are no jobs to be had. Maybe you're a person of color and you're really worried that all the white folks are going to stop caring about everything in a couple of weeks. Maybe you're a boss and you're nervous that you're going to have to lay people off. Maybe you're divorced and you're wondering if you're ever going to be in a loving relationship again. Maybe you're working in government and you feel like you're not making the kind of progress that you want to, but you're trying and people are giving you grief over it. Maybe you're a parent and you're concerned for your adult child who's no longer under your roof, but you're still mom to them. You're still dad to them. Maybe you're married and you wish that your marriage could be just a little bit better. Or maybe you feel like you're the only one trying. Maybe you're a pastor and those Sundays just keep coming. Or maybe you're just a person and you're overwhelmed and you're anxious and you're sad and you're scared. And sometimes you're happy and you're trying generally to make sense of life, but it just keeps coming at you. Take all of the particularities. Take all of the specifics and details that make up your life and from time to time slip away to a place of secrecy where you can present the mundane details of your life, which is comprised of emails and text messages and looks and the times the phone didn't ring that you wanted it to and the expectations that didn't quite get met and the hopes that have been deferred, all of the big and the little things of life and present them to the Lord who is your Father who cares for you. Say what you really think. Ask for the things that you really think you need. Don't try to conjure up these big emotional feelings. Don't try to recreate some great mystical experience. It's okay if it's not amazing. It's okay if it's not game-changing. In fact, uneventful and ordinary is a pretty great place to start. But start. In all of the ways that make you, you, bringing yourself, representing your life into the presence of the Father who cares. And your heavenly Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. Don't keep babbling on like the pagans who think that they're going to be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Pray simply to our Father. I'm resolved that we're going to be a church that prays. Um, If we don't get that right, it really doesn't matter what else we do get right. Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear fruit. The justice that you're longing for, the intimacy and the accountability that you're longing for, 
the peace and the healing from trauma and from wounds that you're longing for, the character that you wish were true of the people of God and the church, living in the way of the Sermon on the Mount, all of these things are secondary to abiding in Jesus. And we're just not going to see the kind of personal and and cultural breakthroughs that we long for apart from prayer. Paul said our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of darkness. There's a a, a larger narrative going on, and we need every resource that has been given us through faith in Jesus with the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, come to me and pray. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, you who are stressed out, you who long for justice, you who are fed up with your own failures and giving in to temptation, you who can't live up to your own exacting standards, you who keep blowing it. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke up with me. Learn from me, for I'm humble and gentle in spirit, and with me you'll find rest for your souls. Take the stuff of your everyday life into the presence of God and give him the chance, give him the opportunity to give you rest and to reward you, as Jesus said, your heavenly Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So let's pray together. And I wonder, um, trying to be especially not fancy, if you could just like say a sentence to God, like what would you ask him for? What would you say to him? Don't try to be commendable. And maybe just in the quiet of your heart, you just say it to him. I don't want to pray, but I think I should. Help me get over that. Fill it in for you. And now I just pray simply for our church. Lord, I like what Maxie said, that prayer is your problem. And we're ignorant of it, and we overcomplicate it, and we've been let down before because we don't understand why you do and don't do some things. The thing that I want to ask for for myself and for our church is for grace to restart a conversation with you. Just to press reset and a grace to start again and an impulse to start that first time. I pray that you give our church and the individual people of our church um, a spirit of prayer. And as we do that, would you cause fruitfulness to come? hope to come, anxiety to to disappear. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you love us. And we pray in safety and security. And the whole human project is yours that you bear the weight of. So alleviate the burden that we've carried uh, by our own choice and help us to partner with you in whatever you're doing in the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, if we were in person, this is the part where you guys would all be mopping tears out of your eyes and it would be, this is so good, it's so good to be together.
So I'm just imagining that you're doing that at home right now, okay? Uh, Tuesday morning at 7, Thursday at noon, we'll have a chance to get in the habit of being together, worshiping together, singing together, praying together. But wherever you are, just start. And uh, I, I promise, I trust that your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So church, wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And may the Lord make you an instrument of his peace. Where there's darkness, may you shine light. Where there's hatred, may you sow love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. God loves you. We'll see you around.